God together. It's been my privilege for the last 22 years or so to teach at Emmaus Bible College in Dubuque. And for some of you who may be new and unfamiliar with Emmaus, uh, we are in Dubuque, Iowa. And um, students can study a number of different things at Emmaus, but one of the things that we love about Emmaus is everyone also majors in Bible. And so uh, one of the great things that we, we love to see and be a part of is, is seeing students immerse themselves in the Word, and, and not just in the classroom, but one of the things we love to do at Emmaus is, is seek to grow together <clears throat> in community and, and live that out as we're studying God's Word together. So pray for us at Emmaus. We feel like we're doing a strategic work with young people at a very formative time in in life and and building deep roots on the foundation of the Word of God. We are in Hebrews chapter 11 this morning, so I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn there with me, continuing the series you've been doing in this wonderful book. A number of years ago, Christian History Magazine published an article on the value of reading biographies of of faithful Christians who have gone before us. The article began with these words, Hebrews 11 is a divine mandate to read Christian biography. The unmistakable implication of the chapter is that if we hear about the faith of our forefathers and, and mothers, We will lay aside every weight and sin and run with perseverance the race that is set before us. I wonder if you have ever been helped by reading a Christian biography, biography of someone who lived for the Lord, lived their life for the Lord. I certainly have. And Hebrews 11 is really designed to, to help us and encourage us and inspire us as we seek to run the race of faith. But I want us to think for a moment as we get into our passage this morning of this great chapter, often called the the Hall of Faith, in its context. The book of Hebrews, as you know, uh, in, in this book, the author has been addressing believers who were, for various reasons, struggling with their faith in Christ. Some were even tempted to abandon Christ, to turn their back on Him and return to Judaism because of opposition and and pressure that they were facing. And so our author urges them not to turn away from Christ by showing them how wonderful Christ is, how great the Lord Jesus Christ actually is, and how superior he is to the things that they want to turn back to. In fact, he is the fulfillment of everything that Judaism was pointing to. Our author also wants to warn these believers to to persevere in, in following Christ because there are serious consequences for turning away. But our author author also wants to inspire his readers to persevere. And that's what he's doing in chapter 11. 
He's reminding them of others who've gone before them, who in spite of all kinds of challenges and difficulties, they kept trusting the Lord. They kept clinging to the Lord in faith, and they were blessed because of it. As we turn to our text this morning, the author holds out for us one of the greatest examples of faith in the whole Bible, and that is Abraham. In fact, of all the examples of faith in Hebrews 11, the account of Abraham is is the longest. Probably shouldn't surprise us because the apostle Paul calls Abraham in Romans chapter 4 verse 11, the father of all who believe. And if you know um, Romans chapter 4 and other places in the New Testament, you'll recall that even the New Testament authors point to Abraham as an illustration for how we are saved by faith. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. We're not saved by our works. Abraham wasn't saved by his works. He was saved by faith. But Abraham, and this is a major point of Hebrews 11 here, Abraham also lived by faith, and he was commended by God. And so, Abraham's a wonderful model for us. We too are saved by faith, not our works. We too are to live our lives by faith in the Lord. Remember verse 6, which I think you looked at last week, says, without faith it is impossible to please him. So what do we learn from Abraham about faith? If I were to, to summarize the message of our passage in one sentence, it would be this. Faith trusts God even when things don't seem to make sense. Faith trusts God even when things don't seem to make sense. Look with, look with me at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 19. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. 
By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This is the word of the Lord. Faith, faith trusts even when things don't seem to make sense. Did you see that theme in our passage as we read it? There are a number of examples in the life of Abraham where things just didn't seem to make sense. But by faith, Abraham trusted God. Maybe there are some things in your life that don't make sense right now. Can you really be expected to respond in faith? Well, let's walk through our passage and see what God has for us, what God says to us. I want to follow the text this morning in three movements. First of all, number one, faith obeys God. Number two, faith waits on God. And number three, faith is tested by God. First of all, faith obeys God. Look again at verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, we, we learn in the book of Genesis that when the Lord called Abram, as he was then called, he was 75 years old. He had been a citizen of, of Ur, located on the Euphrates River in what is today southern Iraq. He lived among his family and his own people. And uh, we learn from Joshua chapter 24 verse 2 that, that Abraham and his family and his people were, were idol worshipers at the time. So he wasn't the most likely candidate to be the, the human father of God's people. On his part, at 75 years old, Abraham wasn't looking for a new start. He wasn't interested in venturing off in search of an adventure like Bilbo Baggins. But the call of God came. Listen to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Chapter 12, verse 4 of Genesis gives us Abraham's, Abram's response. So Abram went as the Lord told him. Even if it didn't make a whole lot of sense, Abraham obeyed God. Why? Well, the text tells us that he believed God. He believed God. Faith in the Lord and obedience to his word go together. Abraham's obedience was the outward evidence of his inward faith. Or as one commentator puts it, faith is the root and obedience is the fruit. And they go together. If we trust God, if we truly believe him, we'll do what he says even if we don't always understand it perfectly. Now, 
we, you and I, living this side of the cross and with a complete Bible in our hands, we really have an advantage over Abraham when God first came to him and called him. You see, we can can trust him because we know his character. We, we know his wisdom, his goodness, his sovereignty. We can reflect back on, on millennia of f- his proven track record of, of faithfulness. And we can trust him, not our own understanding, not our circumstances, not appearances, but we trust him. Abraham didn't have that benefit of of centuries of of knowing of the Lord's faithfulness. But nevertheless, he responded in faith when he encountered God. Verse 8 admits that Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. Bible teacher Richard Phillips describes the situation like this. He writes, Abraham did not have a crystal clear plan, a vision mapped out where he would be in five or 10 or 50 years. Rather, he met God, he heard God's call, and at great cost to himself, and surely with much perplexity, he obeyed and he went. God's call on, on my life and on your life might not involve leaving, leaving your country and heading off to an unknown destination. It may. But God's call does require the obedience of faith. Part of following the Lord in the obedience of faith involves a change in our outlook, our perspective. Obeying the Lord means the chief concern is not a self-centered perspective where I'm constantly asking, how does it benefit me? Instead, faith takes a, a Christ-centered perspective where we, where, where we desire that our decisions and our priorities would glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9 adds this. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Although God had promised the land of Canaan to to Abraham, he didn't receive the inheritance in his lifetime or even during the lifetime of his son Isaac or his grandson Jacob. In fact, the only land that he ever owned was Sarah's tomb, which was a cave in a field that he bought from the Hittites. Abraham lived in tents, temporary dwellings. He was an outsider, never quite at home, as if he was living in a foreign land, even though this was the very land that God had promised to give him as an inheritance. But for Abraham, the promise of God was was so real and so trustworthy that its fulfillment was never in question. And therefore, he could endure. He could live in tents because of his faith in God. Now, this reminded me of something as I reflected on this this week. It reminded me of something Paul says in Romans chapter 8 verse 30. In that verse, he's giving us what has sometimes been called the chain of salvation. And it says this, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. 
Did you notice the tense of that last one? He also glorified past tense. But as believers living here and now, you and I know that we haven't been glorified yet. At least I know I haven't. That's a future promise for us. But it's a promise that's so certain that Paul can put it in the past tense as if it was a done deal, as if it already happened. And that means that as believers, we can face all kinds of difficulties and struggles in this life knowing that they're temporary. They don't have to derail us and send us into despair because we have the hope, we have the promise, the certainty of being glorified with Christ forever. And that eternal perspective kept Abraham going all those years. That's really what we have in verse 10. Verse 10 says, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now, I can imagine that he must have grown weary living in a tent. A tent is all right for a weekend camping trip, but a tent by definition is a temporary dwelling. He must have longed to have something more permanent and and comfortable. He must have passed by cities and thought, that would be nice. But when he was tempted by those thoughts, he, he remembered God. He remembered the call of God on his life, and he came back to the eternal perspective. He remembered the promise of God, the Word of God. Our text tells us that by faith, he, in a sense, lifted his eyes upward to, to better, if, if distant things, to, to a city far surpassing anything he would have seen in Canaan. A city with eternal foundations, designed and built not by human kings, but by the king of heaven. Abraham chose the eternal instead of that which passes away. And that raises a question for us. What what are we setting our hopes on, our hearts on? It's so easy to set our minds on the things of this world. I mean, it's what we see. It's what we we can touch. It's what we're encouraged to live for by this world. And it's easy to set our minds on those things instead of having that Christ-centered perspective, that eternal perspective. But the Lord Jesus doesn't promise that if we follow him, if we put our trust in him, that that our life here and now will, will get easier, that you'll have your best life now, that it will all be smooth sailing. No, the Lord Jesus didn't give us any illusions along those lines. He warned his disciples. He said to them, in this world, you will have tribulation. I'm always struck by the Apostle Paul after his first missionary journey. You remember at the end of that, folks tried to stone him to death and they dragged him out of the city and left him for death, for for dead. But by God's 
grace, evidently, he, he didn't die and, and he got back up and he returned to, to the new believers that had been won to faith in Christ and he urged them to continue in the faith and uh, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. I can just imagine the, bru- the bruises and the slings and, and, and people listening to that message must have thought, what have we gotten ourselves into? But by faith, we go through tribulations to inherit the kingdom of God, a city with foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The fact is that, that living in this world is not easy. We know that. There are difficulties and trials and opposition and hardship and so much misunderstanding. We we will never feel completely at home. In fact, we're not supposed to. So at times we might be tempted to think it, it, it would just be easier to go along with the world. It'd be so much easier. So what is it that makes Christians willing to to endure so much and to struggle day after day. In a word, hope. But specifically, the hope that faith in Christ brings to our lives. Christians know that, that we have the promise of eternal joy, not passing, fleeting pleasures, but eternal joy and rest in the presence of Christ himself. And that allows us, it frees us to to view the struggles of this present life in their proper perspective. And and to be able to come to the conclusion that these things are temporary, but we have something that's eternal. Paul can say in Romans chapter 8 verse 18, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Or again, he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's our inheritance. And that's what Abraham was looking to. What about you this morning? What about me? What have you set your hopes on? Well, that brings us to the second section of our text, faith waits on God. Faith waits on God. And we are introduced to another episode of, of uh, challenge in the lives of Sarah and Abraham. Look at verses 11 and 12. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, don't, don't you love that expression? <laughs> him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now, we have to admit that Abraham and Sarah's faith faltered at times. As time kept marching on and, and, and still Sarah didn't become pregnant with the promised heir, she, you'll remember, thought up of an alternative plan. She thought she might help God out. Abraham could have a, a child through her servant Hagar, and he would be the heir. 
And Abraham sadly went along with the plan, even though it clearly was not God's plan. And then you'll remember when, when Abraham was 99 years old, things were looking a little bleak at that point, you might say, from a human perspective. The Lord promised again, he came to Abraham again, he promised him a son through Sarah, and his response was to laugh. And when Sarah heard it, she laughed. But God responded in, in Genesis 8, 18, 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Ultimately, they both ended up believing despite their initial doubts. And that's what the author here commends. It is it's somewhat encouraging that the author is pre presenting to us real-life people who had real-life struggles, but nevertheless persevered in faith. That's the point. That's the lesson. As another commentator says, the faith that pleases God and receives his promise may struggle, but it does not let go. Maybe you're struggling this morning. Don't let go. Amen. Don't let go of Christ. That's so important for us because our faith can waver. But Abraham and Sarah learned through trials to wait on the Lord. The promise didn't come immediately. They learned, however, that God was faithful. God would keep his word, even though it didn't make sense. And in fact, again, from a human perspective, it was impossible. I think we could even say from a human perspective, it was absurd. Genesis 17, 17, Abraham asks, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Imagine going to Lamaze class. <laughs> You'd get some looks, don't you think? That'd be great. But the answer, of course, is yes. A child was to be born to Sarah, who was past the age of childbearing, verse 11. And Abraham, when he was as good as dead, verse 12. You know, I think the Lord in this whole episode is making a statement that he can be trusted even when things don't make sense to us because he is God and nothing is impossible with God. Abraham and Sarah learned that lesson as they learned to wait on the Lord. And that leads our author to give, give a summary of, of what it looks like to wait on God in faith until the end, as exemplified by Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and the patriarchs. Look at verses 13 through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now, at first you might think that the faith of the patriarchs failed. 
verse 13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Uh, They didn't receive the inheritance of the land. Abraham, at that point, had not seen countless offspring. So, was their faith in vain? Did the promise fail? Not at all. In fact, the rest of the section makes clear that, in fact, their faith won the victory. It was not defeated. You see, faith enabled them to see that God would fulfill his word, even though it would be in the future. And they came, actually, it seems from this passage, that they came to the point where they could actually rejoice in that and accept their calling as strangers and exiles on the earth. It's very fascinating that the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 56, He said, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad. His faith looked forward and rejoiced. Those who live by faith and die by faith come to understand that no earthly dwelling or city, vulnerable as they are to attack and decay and corruption, can provide the the security and permanence for which we all long. Some of the readers in this letter were tempted to turn their back on Christ and, and go back to the comfort and security that they thought they could find in Judaism. Maybe you are tempted to go back to the tangible comfort that you think the world offers. But at best, those things are temporary, but, and in reality, they are deceitful. Ultimately, faith in Christ enables us to direct our longing for security and for permanence and for glory into the desire for a better country that is a heavenly one. And you know what? God will reward our faith. That is his promise. He will welcome us. And all our longings that can't be satisfied on this earth will be eternally satisfied in the city of God. There's a wonderful statement in C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, where he says, If I find in myself a desire which nothing on earth can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Now, of course, it's easy to get discouraged when we allow ourselves to focus too much on, on this world for fulfillment and for recognition. So the story is told of, of Henry Morrison who, after serving faithfully as a missionary for 40 years in Africa, returned home to the United States. His, his labors on the mission field had finally come to an end. And on the same ship which Morrison was on to return to the States was President Theodore Roosevelt. And as they entered New York Harbor, the president was greeted with a huge fanfare. A large crowd had had gathered to welcome him home. But no one, no one had come to welcome Henry Morrison and his wife home after 40 years of faithful service to the Lord. 
And Morrison admitted he was, he was very discouraged by this until a small voice came to him and said, Henry, you're not home yet. How true. And the Lord had prepared a city far greater than the Big Apple for Henry Morrison and for all who follow Jesus Christ in faith. Since this is true, even the seemingly impossible situation of of death is transformed by faith in Christ, who defeated death at the cross. Henry Venn, a 19th century preacher, expressed this this attitude, this reality in in a letter to a friend announcing the death of his beloved wife. He wrote these words, I have some of the best news to impart. One beloved by you has accomplished her warfare, has received an answer to her prayers, and everlasting joy rests upon her head. My dear wife, the source of my best earthly comfort for 20 years, departed on Tuesday. It's not that he didn't feel sadness at the loss of his wife. Christians still grieve, but we grieve in hope. Vane understood what death meant for his wife. It meant reaching home, the eternal home and eternal joy in Christ that she had longed for. Her treasure was in heaven. What a difference that makes when we face the end. Richard Phillips puts it this way. What a difference it makes in the hour of death to have a better home beyond the grave, a country and a city prepared for us by God himself. But what a tragedy death is for all whose only home is here, who have no home and no life except in this poor and dying world. This is illustrated by two prominent men who both died in 1899. The first was Robert Ingersoll, a lawyer, politician, and a writer who who campaigned in the defense of, of agnosticism and set out to refute Christianity. In fact, he was nicknamed the Great Agnostic. He died suddenly of of heart failure, leaving his his family devastated. So grief-stricken was his wife that she wouldn't allow his body to be taken from their home until, until the health of the family required it. It was announced at the funeral, there will be no singing. And the service was such a scene of of despair that even the newspapers of the day commented on it. Death came to this man and, and there was no hope, only an irredeemable tragedy. The other man who died that year was Dwight L. Moody, famous evangelist. On his last day, his family gathered around his bed and his daughter began to pray for him to recover. No, no, Emma, he said. Don't pray for that. God is calling. This is my coronation day. I've been looking forward to this. Moody died that day and his family was confident of his entry into heaven. And his his funeral was a scene of triumph and joy and there was a lot of singing. 
Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? They could say with the Apostle Paul. Christ had defeated death and Moody had entered into his reward. Will you die in faith and hope or in the despair of unbelief? The final section of our passage reveals that faith is tested by God. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was, in fact, it was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac, your offspring uh, shall be named. Verse 19, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This is an amazing event in the life of Abraham. Abraham had already been established as a man of faith. He believed God's promise of a son, even when it was humanly impossible, and and Isaac was born. But we come to Genesis 22, and Abraham's faith is put to a severe test. Listen to Genesis 22, 1 and 2. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham... And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. What a test. How could God tell Abraham to do such a thing? Isaac was the the miracle child, the promised child, the one through whom God said he would fulfill his word, his promises. And now the Lord wants Abraham to, to kill him? It didn't make any sense. Of course, as readers of Genesis 22, we know God had no intention of allowing Abraham to kill his son. But Abraham didn't know that in the moment. You can imagine how how gut-wrenching it would have been for Abraham as he approached that mountain, Isaac by his side. But but his faith in God prevailed. In fact, we learn here in, in, in verse 19 that Abraham was so confident in God that he believed God would raise Isaac from the dead. We might wonder, well, where does, where does he get that? Where does the author of Hebrews get that? Well, you might remember the story in Genesis chapter 22 when they reached the foot of the mountain. Abraham said to his servants, I and the boy will go over there and worship and we will come again to you. That's faith. You see, Abraham had already seen God give him a son when he was as good as dead, as verse 12 said. So he had learned to trust God even when things didn't seem to make sense. Abraham had such reverence for the Lord that it was his deepest conviction that God was great and mighty and holy and trustworthy, even when it didn't make sense. And this test prove that, that Abraham valued God and his word even more than his gifts. Abraham was so confident that he, could, he believed God could raise Isaac from the dead in order to keep his promise. 
And we learn this morning that God is pleased with that kind of faith when we fear Him and love Him and value Him and trust Him more than anyone else or anything else. And that is the path of blessing that God has called each one of us to. What, what test are you facing? What trial are you enduring? This passage, this word from God to us today is, is raising the question for each one of us, are we truly trusting the Lord even though things might not make sense in the moment? One of the great lessons we also learn from Genesis 22 is the God who tests is also the God who provides. And you'll remember that a ram was found in the thicket and was sacrificed in, in, instead of Isaac, in place of Isaac. You know, sometimes we go through trials and our faith is tested and we look everywhere else for, for answers and for relief and for provision for our needs. But when God tests you, He will provide for you. And that's seen supremely in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, of, of which Genesis 22 points. The truth of the matter is that, that we are sinners before a holy God in a desperate position. But at the cross, God provided for our greatest need when Christ died for our sins, that we might be forgiven and redeemed and reconciled to God. Christ became our substitute, which is really the major difference between what happened with Abraham and, and what happened with God. The Lord stopped Abraham from sacrificing his son, but as Paul says in Romans 8.32, God did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. That we might know him and walk by faith. Therefore, we can trust God. Even when things don't make sense and it feels like we're facing one trial after another, we can be confident in God the God who spared not his own son, the God of the empty two. And when humanly impossible circumstances confront us as they did Abraham and Sarah, faith allows us to look beyond our circumstances to God, to the God who promises us an eternal and unshakable home in his presence. Trust God. Walk by faith. And you will be blessed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We need its message to remind us to, to cling to you when we face difficulties and things don't make sense. We are reminded that you can be trusted and the supreme demonstration of that is that you did not spare your own son, but you gave him for us all. He stepped in. He was the substitute who bore our sins. He rose triumphantly from the dead to, to confirm everything that he had said, to confirm that if we believe in him, we will have eternal life. Help us to raise our eyes from the things of this world and to set our eyes on, 
on Jesus and the eternal perspective. We would turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And may the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.